Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. Welcome to the Colton Collective Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Dave AC and the Sixth Doctor. It does seem a long intro sometimes, that. I'm going to talk over the last part of it because uh, we can't wait to get on with the topic. Hi, everyone. This is Dave AC in the chair today. Uh, we're still uh, sans Ian, the sixth doctor. Hopefully, he will be joining us in the new year or he may make a, a reported appearance at some point. We've got the collective all gathered. It's uh, episode 76 today, Merlis, Merlin, series three. Our review. This is the series that's just ended here in the UK just over a week ago. Uh, actually, uh, eight days to be precise. I know that because um, I had a little bit of an issue with the uh, BBC iPlayer dumping all the episodes uh, just as I was trying to uh, do things with the recordings. Anyway, let me, without further ado, welcome those people that we have in the room. So, um, on microphone, let's welcome in, first of all, Mr. T. Jury. Hi, Tim. Hi, Dave. Good to have you here. And we've got in Mr. Benjamin Elliott, the This Week in Doctor Who guy. Hi, Benjamin. Hi, Dave. And we've got Mike Randall-Thor with microphone. He's got his computer working. Yes, I do. I'm back on audio. (laughs) (laughs) Rightio. And uh, Mike's hopefully going to help me with uh, any of the things in the text because... um, you know, I don't always catch everything when I'm running the show solo. So thank you for your help ahead of time. Thank you. And we also got Mr. Darth Skeptical. Hi, Hello, Dave. Dave. Good to have you here. And uh, let's see who's under the cone. Controls, new agent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable cone of silence. What? And in the cone of silence, we've got Logan, Slenderman, and my alter ego, Dave AC2. We've also got one other, which I won't give the name out, but I'm going to allow him chat, but we're not quite sure uh, whether uh, they're trying to spam the thing. So um, I will leave you allowing to chat, and we'll see how we go with that. I'm sure Michael keep me posted on activities. Okay, well, um, just in case you're listening to our recording way, way in the future, uh, and the 
part of the show that we're doing now is going to be out of date. The main topic will probably start in about uh, 10 or 15 minutes from this point, which is always one of the reasons why we quite often recommend people to download the show rather than stream it, because then uh, if you want to, uh, if you don't a regular to the Colton Collective and have tuned in particularly because you really enjoy watching the series Merlin, uh, then you can go straight to the good stuff. But the news is uh, fine for now, and uh, let's get to it. And we're going to start with Mr. Benjamin Elliott. Thank you, Dave. Ooh, um, oh, I've... no, we're not. No, we're not. No, no we're not. No. Now go chirping monkey go. Go chirping monkey go. <laughs> we both said it. Sorry, Benjamin. <laughs> okay. Well, I've been gone for a few weeks, so we'll just make sure everything's quite up to date here. Uh, the BBC, of course, are airing their Christmas Day Doctor Who special on Christmas and several times in the week thereafter. 6 p.m. on Christmas Day in the U.K., uh, 7 p.m. on much of mainland Europe because of the time difference. In America, we're getting it at 9 p.m. Eastern on BBC America. That's 6 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Darth. And in Australia, they're getting it just a couple hours after that on Boxing Day, the 26th of December at 7.30. And Australian ABC has announced that they're going to air the Doctor Who at the Proms concert on Boxing Day at 5 p.m. BBC America is also airing that concert. So unlike the 2008 concert, this one is actually getting international airplay, which is great. Uh, No word if Space plans to air the concert or not. Space is currently airing the Christmas special on the 26th of December at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 Pacific. And no word on Prime in New Zealand, though presumably that will be in the new year. Also, if you're a fan of the K-9 show, like Mr. T. Drury, the um, (laughs) Channel 5, or I think they call themselves 5 these days, um, is the terrestrial broadcaster of K-9. Uh, Disney XD was the uh, premier broadcaster of K9 in the UK with a lot of controversy on how they aired it. Five is airing the first 14 episodes weekdays around 10 in the morning from the 18th of December, that's this coming Saturday, through the 31st of December. So you want to be ready if you're interested, and they're going to air the first half of the run every single day. No Sunday break, no Christmas break every day. And then the rest of the episodes are supposed to premiere around Easter on 5. And that's how they're running K9 with lots of... BBC One will have a whole bunch of Sarah Jane and Doctor Who repeats between Christmas and New Year's as well. So there'll be a chance to catch just about everything except Torchwood in the UK over Christmas. Which is odd. Torchwood had a Christmas episode and yet they never seem to think that out of time would be appropriate Christmas viewing. I can't imagine why. (laughs) They're also (laughs) skipping the waters of Mars from their uh, Christmas to New Year's marathon, probably for the same reason that they're skipping out of time on Torchwood. Uh, And if you're in mainland Europe, BBC Entertainment, which has aired Series 1 and 2, but it's never moved on to Series 3, they'll finally be airing Series 3 beginning January 1st. So 
In 2011, most of Europe who have BBC Entertainment will get to see the premiere of the episodes from 2007. And that's really about it. Oh, great. No, that's, thank you. Let's go to uh, Tim, please, then. Yes, well, a couple of bits of news from me, Dave. One of them is um, convention-related, and uh, a bit of a treat coming up for those of us in the UK next year, because, uh, and I'll put the link for this in the chat, uh, 10th Planet Events have announced that uh, Invasion in February of next year uh, will feature Jacqueline Pierce, uh, Serverland in Blake 7, and uh, also one of the stars of The Two Doctors, and rare UK appearance, because she now lives in South Africa. And uh, that makes that makes February an incredibly busy month for me. Invasion, Gallifrey, SFX Weekender. I have one free weekend, so if anyone wants me, 12th and 13th of February. <laughs> but um, no, that that's very good news, because it's a very rare chance to meet her. She's uh, not in the country very often. And uh, the ongoing story of Hollywood remaking stuff and us going, why... <laughs> Uh, in jaw-dropping news of the week, Rent-A-Ghost is to be a movie. I don't know what more to say, really. Other than the the, the, the casting of it seemed even more, possibly even more bizarre than the, um, than the fact that the project exists at all, because Fred Mumford, who, when I put this to my brother, who's a big Rent-A-Ghost fan said, well, he'll of course be playing Timothy Claypole, you know, the sprightly little jester fella. No, he's playing Fred Mumford, the ordinary guy who gets turned into a ghost in episode one. So, hmm, I don't know. I mean, there's all sorts of odd things coming about around this project, but uh, the link's there in chat from sfx.co.uk, uh, and uh, from what I little I remember of scanning the news story in the week... Uh, here's the quote for you. Uh, the site that announced it, Deadline, says that the film will be Beetlejuice-style afterlife comedy. They're probably basing this on the fact that Tim Burton's film and TV series also featured Ghosts for Hire. Yeah, in other words, they don't have anything to go on, because like, my main thought of, if it's remotely like Beetlejuice, is Beetlejuice is a pretty dark film. Mm. I don't know if I want that out of Rent-A-Ghost, but... It might be good. I might be um, hightailing it for no reason here, but um, that, that's the latest from Remake Central. And that's enough. That's, that's all the news from me, Dave. Okay, cheers. Um, a couple of bits from me. Um, here in the UK on Thursday this week, that is the 16th of December, on BBC4 at 9pm, um, do it gently. Um, there will be a... Um, it's a let me, well, let me read what it says. Uh, uh, Stephen Manigan, uh, Darren Boyd and Helen Baxendale lead in a new comedy drama that has clear potential to become a series based on the late 1980s novels by Douglas Adams and adapted by Howard Overman. This entertaining pilot episode features a cunning but chaotic private eye who is hired by an elderly woman to find her missing cat. The eponymous sleuth Manigan, is it? Mangan, enlists the help of Mangan, uh, of uh, his dense friend Boyd, who's having trouble with his girlfriend, played by Baxendale, and uh, fruitfully applies his doctrine of the interconnectedness of all things to a case that grows like a furball. 
So that is, um, I think, the first time that we've had uh, anything for about the Dirk Gently and the, what's the full name, Holistic? Um, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. Right. So, um, But it's being done led as a comedy drama rather mm. than as a sci-fi. I, I, I have high hopes for it being a series because there's a sort of gap in the market to be filled now there isn't Jonathan Creek on. And anything that can fill that sort of Jonathan Creek of gap of a slightly offbeat detective, if it's done well, it could be really good. And I think BBC Four needs a good drama to hold it down. It doesn't really have an actual drama series that people go to it for yet. Right. Okay. Um, an- another one is, um, I know, uh, I think there's at least one other fan in the room of uh, a, a UK quiz sh- show. And this is not a, a really big prize quiz. It's a, a sort of gentle one. It's called Eggheads that is on BBC Two. Um, this is where uh, basically pub quiz teams go up against the former masterminds and quiz uh, uh, team uh, and each week they have a chance of winning a thousand pounds which is what fifteen hundred dollars if it's not one it rolls over so we have had people winning uh, our teams winning 20 25 30 odd thousand when it's rolled up well on the 20th of december i believe um they're going to be facing a doctor who uh celebrity team so a special doctor who celebrity edition of the BBC Two quiz show Eggheads is scheduled for Monday the 20th of December at 6pm. The show will star six Dr. Colin Baker, along with Katie Manning, Fraser Hines, Louise Jameson and John Leeson. I'm taking it, the people who listen to our show will know <laughs> everything about the list about those people, so I don't need to explain good, it. Good to hear so many classic series guests, isn't it? When they did it with The Weakest Link in recent years, they were mostly um, new series guests. Right, right. So that's that. And um, have we had any mention, and I think this is basically uh, something that Lewis put up, that um, the Christmas Carol, A Christmas Carol, this this year's special, um, the Blu-ray is already being decided to be, that it will be released on February the 15th, the Blu-ray and DVD. And I think it has on something that um, Mike was putting in the text a minute ago when... Uh, when Benjamin was talking, um, what was that you were mentioning about the Who at the Proms, was it? Yeah, uh, Doctor Who at the Proms being aired on BBC America as well as other stations internationally. Right, but it's actually going to be put on as a bonus to um, the uh, Blu-ray and DVD, A Christmas Carol, 15th of February, as Lewis pointed out, just one day too late for for all those people to give it as a, a Valentine's Day gift for their Doctor Who friendly partner. So um, I think that's basically from me. Uh, Darth, is there anything that we've not mentioned that you still had? Yeah, a little bit, uh, again, from our continuing struggle to see if Bond 23 will indeed get made. And uh, this uh, last week, we've had some very encouraging stuff from, of all places, a leaked video on YouTube from the company that has the rights to do video games based on the James Bond franchise. Why this is exciting is that the leaked video depicts James Bond as Daniel Craig. Now, why would you make a film, uh, a video game, spend all that time animating a video game with the image of 
my, of, of Daniel Craig, unless, of course, there is going to be a movie which backs that up. Or so, unless it's be delayed a while. Well, I mean, okay, within the Bond franchise, I guess there is the history of having a Sean Connery video game coming out in the 21st century. But um, this is this would be, I think, the third video game based upon the Daniel Craig incarnation of um, James Bond. So if this hasn't been released yet, it does look like it's going forward so as to be released concurrently with... Um, Bond 23. There's also some other news from the sort of backroom deals, and as we all know, the, the, the making of Bond 23 is really much more about backroom deals than it is about girls and cars and the fun stuff of Bond. Um, we have Sony. The deal is, when you're making a Bond film now, um, 50% of the money is, is going to be funded by MGM, and 50% of the money is going to come from somewhere else. Um, we know that MGM has been having all these problems and they finally seem to be in a position to at least promise the 50% that they want to put up. Um, the question is where we're going to get the other 50% from. And there really seems like there's two areas that it could come from. One is we could just go with the partner that we've had since Casino Royale, which is Sony. Um, but they're not under any kind of obligation to do it. And, MGM is, is legally, strangely, in a position of power to pick who their partner will be. So they could go again with Sony, and Sony has this week rewarded a woman named Amy Pascal, who is um, the co-chairman of Sony and who is the person who engineered the deal in the first place to do the first two Daniel Craig movies. So they've given her a re-up on her contract, which seems to suggest that indeed they have all the confidence in the world that she's going to be able to land Bond 23 for Sony. But on the other side of the equation, um, you've got um, you know, the Spyglass people who have come in and taken over MGM. They're much closer to Paramount. Uh, they, they work with Paramount to make Star Trek, for instance. So it seems to be that they would naturally be leaning more towards Paramount. So at this point... It does look like the film is getting made. Daniel Craig recently, last week or a couple of weeks ago, was stopped outside of um, at the actor's entrance to some theater in London where he's doing a play with Hugh Jackman. And he indicated there to just you know people on the street that, in fact, filming was going to begin in the second half of 2010. So, I mean, there are, and, you know, we got the thing from last week where Sam Mendes is moving to London in order to take over this job. So it does look like it's getting made. The question is, what is the shape of that production? And is it going to be like it's always been? Is it going to be, you know, Sony MGM? Or, you know, is MGM going to be unable to find a partner? And so therefore they are actually, at the end of the day, going to slip out and somehow the whole thing might get shunned into Paramount? Or are they going to, you know, come to some sort of agreement with Paramount and just switch Sony, Paramount for Sony? At this point, we don't know, but it does look like, again, we're still moving forward, which is a good thing. Right. I assume you mean he's voicing it as well as... Uh... Right, but I mean, the, the animation, you know, animation now, especially with the new platforms, is so good that, you know, it... it, it totally looks like Daniel Craig. It's not just, uh, he, you know, he's sort of doing the voice for somebody who vaguely looks like him, um, yeah. which may have been the case back in the Pierce Brosnan days, the early Pierce Brosnan video games. But now, I mean, you look at this video, and it is Daniel Craig, absolutely. It couldn't be anybody else. So, 
very helpful news again. Right. Um, is, uh, well, just if that's, if that, is that the end of your section, Darth? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I was reading uh, something that was about, I think it's James Cameron. He's actually going around buying up dead actors. <laughs> and by that, I mean he's buying the rights to portray dead actors. Uh, and in the same way you were saying about the games, and of course in the uh, the Tron Legacy, um, where they can make um, the the actor look a lot younger, there's going yep. to be a market in the future for bringing back dead actors yep. and to to pay for their actual, you know, portrayal. I mean, I don't know how they do with the voices. Probably have a some sort of voice actor to do that, but um, it seems rather forward thinking of him. But uh, obviously. Uh, he knows the lie of the land with things like that. Um, there already is kind of a market in that. I mean, there, there are some dead actors who you can't portray on, say, T-shirts or whatever because you don't have the right to their license. So people will go and buy the. There, there, there are already people who can make T-shirts with somebody else's image on them, and the estate of that person has no rights to the image. It's very complicated. Well, that's a bit of a touchy subject, isn't it, Tim, at the moment? Right. With, uh... Yes, yes, I was just about to put this in chat, and I've already ranted about it on my own show, so I think I think we should have a little rant about it on here, because it was all over the internet earlier in the week. I think it was Tuesday it hit, and I was just quietly working away at work, and every few minutes I'd check Twitter, and this was just constant throughout the day. Someone said, oh, my T-shirt's been taken down, my T-shirt's been... And basically, the, the long and the short of it is this... down two t-shirts that isn't can you still hear me dave yeah yeah you just broke the audio just broke up for a second i'll start the sentence again the long and the short of it is this the bbc have decided to crack down on any doctor who t-shirt that isn't official and so this has spread the 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 globe the radio free skyro uh shop has been decimated i don't don't know what they're left with very little from what i gather uh i had two t-shirts one that i thought was vulnerable because Mr. Chin designed it and used one of the older logos on it, and I thought when he did that it looked a little iffy. Uh, but even the one I designed, which was really, really basic, and all it had written on it was Tim's take on a podcast about Doctor Who, mostly, and the URL, was flagged up as not not um, allowed because it had the words Doctor Who on it, from what I gather. That's um, ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. If it's Doctor Who in a particular form, if you're going to talk about revenue protection, yes, it's good. I hadn't even sold any T-shirts. I'm not taking any money away from them whatsoever. Well, Also, we're podcasters. We exist to promote their show that they reckon we're taking money from. Well, I don't. I fail to see how the merchandise does that. Um, well, I would. I mean, I, sorry, I was well, going to say. Clearly, it, they it, must it, think we're doing something wrong. Otherwise, why have they got so protectionist all of a sudden? I mean, if you if you put Coke on a T-shirt, unless you actually did it in the Coca-Cola font, then that surely wouldn't be breach copyright. If you, yes, it is. I'm assuming your Doctor Who wasn't Coke in their font. Is it? The word Coke is re- registered to the Coca-Cola company, so you can't put Coke on a... Uh, I mean, it, it somewhat depends on the context, but in most contexts, 
token, just the word is actually registered. And I'm sure Doctor Who is. I'm sure TARDIS is. I'm sure TARDIS yeah. most definitely is, and they also own the um, rights to the design of the police books. Sure. I mean, the thing I think this is a, I think this is good because I think this is a sign of maturity of the franchise itself, and I think it's the new well, brand manager who's come in in the re, in the last twelve months or whatever, flexing his muscles and really saying, okay, look, we are going to lay out these areas of opportunity, and you know what? I tell you where this is coming from. It's coming from the damn Tory government, because if you're going to say that there's what sixteen percent decrease in the or freezing or whatever however you're going to phrase that that they've lost 16 percent of revenue um where are they going to make it up from they are they've got to crack down they've got to and they've got to leverage the franchise for every penny that it is worth and you know i mean honestly these little endeavors like you say tim they don't really amount to that much money but when you combine all of them together there is a loss of revenue that right. the BBC could be exploiting and that could be going back into the production of Doctor Who. I don't, I don't have a problem with them doing this at all. Well, the only, I, thing I I the, the, about, only, the only positive I really take from it is if they're this scared about losing money, that must mean Doctor Who's fairly secure for the next few years because it must mean they must think they can make money. Out of it. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, the only thing I was thinking of is that if there is somebody who's absolutely mass-producing this stuff, they can't, you know, go after them cause if it, and not go after the other guys because the, their lawyers could say, well, hang on a minute, we only want this 10,000 people doing this. So basically they might have to crack down on everybody to, 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 to have a, a, a cast-iron case yeah. against the four or five who are really abusing it and churning out, you know... Um, you know, hundreds of thousands of T-shirts sent into all these different countries across Europe and so on. Well, I mean, this comes in the wake of that, what seemed to be a rather ridiculous case and probably a not non-actionable case of the BBC uh, or worldwide cracking down on, I think she was in the United States, some knitting fan. Oh, yes. Who yes. Would, it's, had it's put it's up the instructions on how to do an, an ad, a plush toy adipose or whatever. Yeah, and she had to pull it down. The truth of the matter is, legal analysis shows it's probably not actionable. But I mean, it's definitely that was a marker in the history of what's going down. And as soon as they did that, I was like, "Oh, they're going to come down on everything if they're going to do that stupid little toy, which really doesn't look that much like an adipose." then they're going to come down on every single person that's got a cafe press site or whatever, and that's what they did. Mm. Okay, I think that's probably enough of a rant for our show, but yeah. uh, certainly, um, you know, it, it, it seemed to come out of the blue anyway, and I think it caught people short. And I must admit, there are a lot of uh, people they I, certainly I, I, don't I, make I, money out of it. They, they I, may. I tell you, Dave, someone, someone at the BBC or whoever was dealing with this was clearly sat down doing this over a number of hours because when it first hit Twitter, I thought oh, I'll have a quick look over because I had a phone in my pocket so I could check online my own site. And at that point in the morning, it hadn't gone. By the time I got home, it had gone. So it was clearly just an ongoing process throughout one particular day, and it's all settled now. 
Yeah, I mean, I, obviously, we, we can't speak for another podcast, but one assumes without mentioning the names of any other podcast, but where they have a site and they were selling that merchandise as part of it, basically, it was probably to cover the costs of running, you know, keeping the site up and so on. It's not actually to make money, but it might in some way have subsidised the, their ongoing costs of, uh, you know, microphones and this, that and the other. But uh, But see, that's the thing, you know, like... As a kid, I had a, I had a, a Doctor Who memorabilia business where I I, I printed up Doctor Who related stuff on like uh, pads of paper or whatever, and then you know sold them sort of to cover the cost of running a um, a fan club, right? And the truth of the matter is, it does, it never comes out even, either you lose on the profitable end of things and, and you in fact put more money into trying to make these little things that you're selling than what you get out of them. Or you actually do cover the, the cost of running your little thing, whatever it is, podcast, whatever. And there's a little bit more left over. And the question is, well, what do you do with that little more? I mean, if you make a profit where you're not trying to make a profit, what the hell do you do? Um, mm. And I mean, I, I suppose that there are, if you formally incorporate as a, you know, um, a, a nonprofit organization, which I, I gather that's exactly what Gallifrey Base have done. They are formally a nonprofit organization. And if you incorporate, then you're fine because then you've got rules and regulation that allow you to do that. But most people who are just running a podcast aren't formally incorporated, you know. So if they try to make some money and they make a little bit more, they are in fact making a profit and they are in violation of the law. So, you know, you've you got to be really careful about how you do it. And I don't, I don't begrudge the BBC for cracking down on it because – I know full well I was in violation, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And then I even wrote John Nathan Turner and, and said, can I do this? And he wrote me back and said, no, you cannot. And I still did it, you know. Um, <laughs> Good uh, for you, John. Um, but I didn't make any money off. I mean, I really did actually lose money just on the, the cost of printing the stuff because, they're, you know, where was the market then? I mean, this is America. You're not going to sell Doctor Who memorabilia in America in the 1980s. Um, might have done in England, but even then, I don't, I don't know. You know, yeah. so I, I'm, I'm glad that there is now a, a proper brand manager. Um, which there, I mean, there was a little bit at the very tail end of the RTD era, um, but now it's like it's real. It's for absolute real. This guy is, you know, on the beat. And I'm glad that they are making a business out of it because I think ultimately that means there's going to be more Doctor Who. Well, yeah, the timing would seem to be if they're thinking that uh, doing this A Christmas Carol on uh, at Christmas, simul, you know, simulcast, right. what we call it, that they're, they're hoping to break big time into America. They're filming two episodes in America. So it's obviously ahead of thinking that the whole market could, you know, quadruple in the next uh, year, 18 months. That, that's very true. And, of course, you know, the deal is, too, I'm, I'm sure that they have done this crackdown at Christmas time precisely so that they can, you know, uh, keep people from making money at Christmas time aside from the BBC. 
Right. I mean, they right. they want to try to channel people's desire to have a Doctor Who themed T-shirt to an actual Doctor Who T-shirt, as opposed to some fans' Doctor Who T-shirt. So, right. that, you know, good on them. Anybody else in the room want to comment on this before we leave the topic? Well, obviously they're not. I do, do notice nothing at all happened to this week in Doctor Who. And I don't think it's just because I hadn't put out a column in the month before there. But clearly, they they must be going through and thinking, is there some effort at making some sort of money? And I've never been clever enough to figure out a way to make any money off the column in any way. <laughs> I must admit, I, I did wonder if I should come up with an alternate name for the column in case they decide anything with the Doctor Who name is suspect. Yeah. I've had well, listing weeks so far. Uh, well, the way you can mm. make money is to syndicate your column, isn't it? Well, that would... Uh, yeah, but that's the one thing he doesn't want to do, because as we say, they, they really will yeah. track down if he tries to do that. Now, the, the only other thing I worried about was our friends over at the Doctor Who podcast, as they call themselves, because right. as we've just established in this conversation, the words Doctor Who are owned by the BBC. And this right. week in Doctor Who has those words in it. Mm. Well, as does Doctor Who Podshock, for that matter. Or, mm. I mean, I don't. I think that they probably won't go to that. It's only when you try to to sell that logo or you know merchandise derived from the show. Have well, they, Scar, they, have they taken it? Have they taken down the like? Are they claiming ownership of the word Scarrow? I'm I've on no the idea. Right now. I've, I've not. I've not checked the only. The only mm. other thought that that worries me about all this is Lewis and his subscriber idea, because he's effectively <laughs> charging people to listen yeah. to a Doctor Who podcast. I've thought and that for a very long walking. time. I have and thought that for a very long time. Personally, as someone who doesn't believe in paying to listen to podcasts, I don't pay him, and I listen to all the others. But, um... Well, he, he actually... If there's anything they worded, choose to crack down in podcasting, it will be that. Yeah, well, with, with Lewis, you're actually supporting the running of the the whole site and everything. Yeah, and but you're you still get the paying podcast. him to listen to a Doctor Who podcast. No, no, no. no. It's just like you get the back of those words. No, you get yeah, freebies. He, well, but he's, he is making... No, no. I no, think from a legal no, standpoint... Among those so-called Tim's freebies right. are an extra show. Right. Yeah. He, you are paying for episodes of a Doctor Who podcast, uh, cast, and that... I'm not sure that's legal. I'm really not. I, I've never been comfortable with that because it, it has always seemed to me like, like he's doing something like the, you know, the Times Online does. You know, with their content, well, yeah. they can do it because they own the, the content. But in no way, he is basically asserting that he owns the content and that he can therefore charge for the content. Well, without, I mean, without what, having um, without Lewis being able to get, give a, a rebuff to that, I think that's. Perhaps we shouldn't go too far on that. But uh, let mm. me say that I am a subscriber and I don't pay for those bonus things. I get bonuses, but I, I do it because I want to support the site. So um, I don't see it as getting something for my money. I do it to support him and to keep it going. And mm. uh, I get some uh, little uh, treats and little breadcrumbs mm. thrown to me. And often right. those... Those things to, are to, to draw this to a close, Dave. It's not how we think of it in the end; it's how the lawyers think of it. So right, right, yeah. We, but we, you, we, you, we wish Lewis good luck. But that's that's what it's down to. Yeah. Usually, on those bonuses, they're actually interviews that they've done at uh, different cons and so on. Yeah. 
Anyway, mm-hmm. um, let, let, let me just mention one thing I forgot to mention in news before we, uh, at 35 minutes, consider going on to our topic. Uh, just to mention that one of the reasons why we may not have that many people in the room, because um, Macbeth is playing on uh, in the UK at the moment on BBC Four, start at 7.30, with uh, Patrick Stewart playing the read role. Oh, that role, was tonight, so. was it? Oh, I'll have yeah. to play it. Yeah, and uh, yes, months ago, I think. Uh, no, that was that the Hamlet. No, you think of the Hamlet one they did with David oh. Tennant, perhaps. This is uh, Macbeth. So um, that's my I might excuse. Be able I to record th- it. I'm going to have to <laughs> check if there's a late night repeat. <laughs> okay, let me just uh, play the clip that Andy did for us of how people can join the show, and then uh, coming up to nearly forty minutes in, we'll start the topic. If you enjoy listening, why not join the collective and participate yourself? We're on TalkShoe. Call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a SIP client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect him directly via the shoe phone find if you have TalkShoe Live installed. We're looking forward to hearing you. And once again, thank you, Andy. Um, right, well, uh, as I say, as we get to just over 36 minutes, the topic for today, episode 76, is Merlin Series 3, our review. This is a UK series that's just ended its run. Now, I should say from the start that we have a limited number of people in the room with us today and a limited number of people who have seen all of Series 3. So if what follows from now seems to be less than an in-depth discussion on the uh, subject and you are a big Merlin fan, uh, then why not consider coming in, joining us next week, giving us a bit of feedback or even indeed sending some feedback to cultdom.com, our Cultdom Chronicles blog site, or indeed if you're on Facebook, why not join our Facebook fan page, that's the Cultdom Collective fan page. If uh, people that have that knowledge and skill and interest come into the room, then that will so much enrich the debate and uh, and, uh, comments that we do. We do a variety of topics on the Cultdom Collective, and we can't always have experts on every one of the subjects that we want to tackle, or indeed, because of real life, may not have been able to take all the time. Because uh, prior to actually starting the recording of the show, uh, we, we checked on the, uh, the actual knowledge of this series with the people in the room, um, and uh, it's not uniform. And I'm going to just uh, take a moment out to just give you some of the basic um, uh, ideas about uh, the Merlin TV series. Uh, and let me just put in the uh, text chat again. And um, Mike, I'm hoping you will read out anything that follows while I'm doing this. So um, Merlin, of course, is based on the uh, the fantasy, uh, the legend of Merlin. It's been going now uh, for three series. The concept of Merlin was influenced, according to the wiki page, by the American show Smallville and in the early years of Superman. Um, And after many failed attempts to bring the program to life, the development of the current series of Merlin began in 2006. Um, In this particular case, one of the divergences is that Merlin and Arthur 
are of similar age. So um, it's not a question of uh, an older Merlin with the young Arthur growing up, uh, if you've ever watched the Sword in the Stone uh, cartoon by Disney. So let me just read a little bit of this. Sorry if it's going over stuff you know, but I do feel with the, with the uh, knowledge of the people in the room at the moment, it might bear uh, reading out. So Merlin is a young sorcerer who arrives in the city of Camelot after his mother arranges for him to stay with Gaius, the court physician. He discovers that the king, Uthka Pendragon, has outlawed magic and imprisoned the last great dragon deep into the city. Now this is all about series one, of course. The dragon informs Merlin that his important destiny to protect Uthka's son, Arthur, who will bring forth a great kingdom. When he meets Arthur for the first time, he believes that he's arrogant and Arthur views Merlin as subservient as Merlin has to keep his secret, magic secret, or face execution. Now, this story has developed somewhat. The dragon has now been freed at the end of the last series, and um, the series is getting quite mature. There, the series that um, started off in uh, September, September 11th and 18th, was a two-parter called The Tears of Ufa Pendragon. And I'm just going to play a clip which was the... Um, the actual starting part of um, the where we are, where we are, where we are, number here we go, twenty-eight. In a land of myth and a time of magic, the destiny of a great kingdom rests on the shoulders of a young boy. His name. You don't know how much I regret everything that I've done. The mandrake pierces the very recesses of the soul, twisting the unconscious into the very image of fear and dread. Ah! Camelot is weaker than it's been for years. An assault on Camelot cannot be undertaken lightly. You forget, we have an ally in the court. So you believe we have a traitor in Camelot? Merlin suspects me. Well, then we must stop him. When Fenred marches on Camelot, he will find a kingdom without a leader. first two parts starts it's been a year since Morgana had gone missing and after a long search she's finally found wandering the woods uh, and nobody but the king can rejoice once more uh, Morgana tries to put her past behind her and she tries to take make Merlin her friend again but Merlin does not fall for a ploy as he knows she is not the Morgana he used to know he soon discovers that Morgana is part of a plot to drive Uther insane and is helped by uh, the king uh, by a rival king to conquer Camelot. Just let me briefly also remind people that um, Colin Morgan is the young man who plays Merlin. Bradley James, who uh, always seems to be having an excuse for taking his shirt off, plays Prince Arthur. 
uh, uh, Angel Colby plays Guinevere, Gwen. Uh, Kate McGrath plays Morgana. Anthony Head plays Uther Pendragon, Arthur's father. And Richard Wilson plays Gaius. And the voice of the great dragon is by John Hurt. So I know that Tim has, like myself, seen all of these as we welcome uh, uh, Guest 12 and Zibipot69 into the room. Welcome. Uh, just over 40 minutes. We've just started the topic. If you can come on in audio, that would help us greatly. So, Tim, uh, can you take your mind back to the first two-parter opening? I don't think my memory's that good, Dave. You may have to throw a clip in this early. Uh, well, um Basically, it's the fact that they're using the the mandra, the more goose played by the uh, really delicious looking, um, uh, and I'm trying to remember her name now. Blimey, um, blah, 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 blah. where's she gone? I've lost her. The more goose. Somebody will have to remind me of her name in a moment. Um, they play the place the mandrake, don't they? Under the uh, Arthur's thing, and he starts to see visions of his dead wife. And he starts to feel as though he's going insane. The idea, of course, is to, um, to make him seem unfit to be the king of Camelot. And uh, then, under this enchantment, it's up to Arthur to defend Camelot. But the other thing is that um, an army of the dead have been raised. So, oh, um, yes. Well, there were some good good points with this episode. I think it... I think it... it it hit my my fundamental on-off dislike of two-parters, where there's some quite good stuff spread over the two episodes, but not necessarily enough to hang on it being two parts. There's some quite memorable parts, especially the the army of the dead, and it, it gives them this, how do they solve this, because they're already dead, so you can't kill them kind of thing. And, uh, well... In, in in retrospect, not not the most memorable story of the series, but memorable more so for its action sequences and sort of how they solve the problem and that sort of thing. Yeah, it was Amelia Fox who plays Morgus. I don't like the name, but she's absolutely fabulous in her part. She looks the real part in a, in a suit of armour as well. She's basically uh, this series' uh, main evil. She was believed to be the half-sister of Morgana, um, now, this is a bit of a controversy because when I was first watching it, when Morgana and Morgus used to meet and call each other sisters, they seemed to be, um, how can I put it, um, an undercurrent of um, sexuality within their relationship, but they are in actual fact believed to be half-sisters. So they're not using the word sister as to mean they're both bound together by magic. Are uh, they in the sisterhood, quote-unquote, but they are in actual fact, believed to be at least half-sisters, uh, in that they share the same mother. Mother, Of course, one of the things that has come to pass is that we, we find out that um, Morgana is not just uh, the ward of Uther. She is, in fact, his Ill illegitimate daughter that he refuses to openly uh, admit to um, siring, as it were. The, the plot that the Morgus and Morgana have throughout the series, and they have a, a numerous attempts, is that if Arthur, if, if Uther is shown to be unfit, or is killed, and then Arthur can be disposed of, she is then the rightful heir to Camelot, being the, the daughter of the king. 
Um, so that is the sort of tension that runs throughout it. So um, is anybody else in the room who's actually caught this first two-parter? I saw part one, and it was so bereft of dramatic tension that I didn't come back for the rest of the series, which is saying something because I actually, you know, I have forced myself to watch the first two series. And while I have found the dramatic um, construction of most episodes to be lacking, I still stuck with it. But for some reason this year, you know, I was, I was sort of expecting a lot on the basis of the last two episodes of series two. Sorry, are we on series three or series four? Series three. Three, thank you. Yeah, You know, I thought that the last two episodes of last year were really good. And they really, you know, started to go in nice, dark directions. And I was captivated by those two episodes. So I came back for this series and thought, oh, this is going to be great. And then we got the, the part one of this. And I was like, nah, this isn't great. This is just... Like Tim says, I mean, it was there was action, there was people moving around, but it it really didn't at all interest me. And I, so the next week, I was just like, you know, I'm not going to play this game for a third year in a row. So I didn't come back. Right. Um, well, the the thing is that um, there is a bit of an unevenness about this series, although I I enjoyed all of them, but unevenness in terms of perhaps the the funding because. Uh, jumping the gun somewhat, the final two-parter, they spent an awful lot of money on, I would think. So there are one or two episodes where maybe they, you know, they've had to do uh, less. But in actual fact, the, the, the opening two-parter, I thought, was pretty good. It set a fairly um, serious tone. I don't know if anybody else wants to talk much more about it because this is the one that's furthest back to remember. But as we go... Uh, I'll ask anybody else what's, when we go to the next episode which is episode 3 called Goblin was a complete reversal because it went to to a silliness aspect so anybody else in the room want to uh, comment on the opening two-parter Tears of Uther Pendragon ok well I'm not going to read all the plots from uh, the, the, the Merlin uh, Wikipedia page. So let's go on, and uh, I'm sure Tim and myself will have more to say as we get nearer and nearer to the more recent episodes. So this is from episode three, and this was, um, um, let's say, if any of the episodes had been written by Russell T. Davis, this might have been the one he would have written. Here we go. lost your mind. No, but you have, or at least it's been taken over. Don't be ridiculous. I know Gaius as well as I know myself, and you're not him. You've got me. How do you like my new body? It's a bit old and creaky, but it's ever so much fun. It's not your body, it's Gaius's. What have you done with him? He's still in here somewhere. Gaius has done you no harm. Leave him. All right. You've convinced me. And second thought. I think I'll stay where I am. I like it in here. The freedom, the gold, the beer. Did I mention the gold? If you hurt Gaius, I will kill you. You'll be killing him. You see the problem? I'm him, he's me. We're all jumbled up in here. 
Uh, and uh, when I mean silly, uh, think um, Slovene and uh, Windy City. Um, the Goblin plays a lot of tricks. Um, the CGI effects were rather good for the uh, the, the the Goblin creature. And um, Tim, do you want to comment on this particular one? I shall read well, a little bit to remind you. Well, it it it, it was basically a comedy episode, and. Uh, um after the, uh, I have to much agree with Darth. I, I I really did struggle to get through those first two episodes, and because I have a bit of faith in the writing team, I thought they'll come right. They'll give us something to watch because this show's on for thirteen weeks, and so this one shown up in the third week, and I thought, well, at least now we 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 don't get many showcases for Richard Wilson's acting at times in this. He's a great actor, and he puts in sterling performances in this show. But he is at times a bit of a supporting character, and so there, there was a bit more of him in this, thankfully, and uh, it was great to see him being given a chance to, on some levels, play a different character and to do some nice comedy things. And yeah, there was a few sort of silly, gross-out gags, but it was it was light relief after all that heavy stuff in parts one and two. And as you say, the CGI was well done, and the, the Goblin character was quite effectively creepy as he should have been yeah um let me just read the the synopsis uh, merlin stumbles stumbles upon a secret chamber beneath the castle and releases the mischievous goblin trapped inside the goblin brings chaos to camelot as the king goes bald overnight and arthur and gwen embarrass themselves in front of each other. Soon the goblin has possessed Gaius, who suddenly develops a thirst for gold and ale. He starts charging people for all his, uh, his medicinal potions. Will Merlin be able to capture the goblin and set things right before any serious damage is done? So it's basically a standalone episode. It doesn't really further the, the, you know, there is a little bit of a story arc, of course, as I said, with Morgana and Morgoose trying to take over uh, Camelot, but this was like a basically just to show that there was going to be uh, shades of light and dark and tone within the the different episodes. So uh, Merlin says he only caught the first one. So anybody else in there? And we are struggling with people who've watched all of the series, but we decided to go ahead because we've got um, other things planned as we get near to Christmas. And uh, if we don't deal with this uh, Merlin now. Um, the, the impetus would be lost. So, again, all I can say, if you're listening to this later, you think uh, they're skipping all these episodes quickly. If you come into the room, the collective is the people that are here, and they make the show uh, whatever it is. So got, um, I've got bad news for you that may have contributed to our loss of contributors tonight, Dave. They're repeating Sherlock on BBC Three right now. Oh, right, right. We, well, we can't what, compete what, with that. Well, especially not if... Uh, as I say, uh, we've got uh, Jean-Luc Picard, Picard playing uh, Macbeth as well at the same moment. Uh, let me just, uh, by the way, uh, I didn't mention apologies. Uh, Howie T sent in her apologies that she wouldn't be able to make it. But she said, I must mention why she watches uh, Merlin. It's for all the bearded actors. Uh, she didn't say anything about Arthur's shirt coming off, but she did say she likes all the bearded actors. <laughs> so that was good. Okay, anybody want to comment or mention anything about uh, this particular episode? If not, we will move fairly rapidly on to the next one, which I have two clips for. I'll take silences now. Uh, episode four is called Gwen, because of course, at this particular time of um, 
um, Merlin, the, the the Knights of the Round Table are not really in effect, uh, but that's jumping the gun. But the name Gwen, of course, will be familiar to people who know about the Arthurian legends. So let me play the first of two clips from that. Afternoon, Mary. Business looks good. We have our better days. I don't suppose you'll begrudge me my share. And the rest. That's all we got. I'm not asked again. Take your hands off her. I'm going to make you pay for that. I'd like to see you try. You had to open your big mouth, didn't you, Merlin? You two have got yourselves in a bit of a pickle, haven't you? You should get out of here where you have the chance. You're probably right. Obviously, with it being um, more of a family show, the, the, the fight sequences are very much ballroom uh, brawls, a little bit in the sort of John Wayne category of uh, barroom fights. Um, but uh, Gwen is um, a very likeable character that joins in. Um, when Merlin and Arthur are vastly outnumbered in a tavern brawl, a man named Gwen helps them to his victory, but becomes seriously wounded. He's taken back to Camelot where he makes a quick recovery. He instantly causes trouble by drinking and trying get, to get the ladies. But that's not the real problem. Two unscrupulous knights are sent to kill Arthur. Can Merlin and Gwen save him from a terrible fate? Or will it be too late for the future king of Camelot? These two um, uh, men wear like little talisman uh, po potions around the neck that make them look like two knights that they've actually um, uh, taken or killed on the road to the tournament, uh, and it makes them have their appearance. Uh, the course is that uh, Gwen, being an ordinary man and not a nobleman, although in actual fact his father was a knight, but he refuses to tell the people about that, um, he's sentenced to death for taking part in the fight, even though by taking part in the fight he's helped save uh, Arthur. Um, and in the end, of course, he that gets commuted to him being uh, banned. And let me play that second clip before I ask Tim to comment. Is there nothing you can do for them? I'm sorry, it's too late for that. The prisoner is responsible for their death. So I want him executed immediately. You might want to wait before you pass judgment. I fear that <laughs> Sir Ethan and Sir Oswald are not all that they seem. Sorcery. And once again, I owe Gawain my life. The king is prepared to overlook the fact that you fought in the melee. <laughs> That's fantastic. Thank you, Arthur. But he's a stubborn man. He will not rescind his judgment. You must leave Camelot. Oh, you've got to speak to him, Arthur. Make him change his mind. Merlin. I'm sorry, Gawain. My father's wrong. If it were up to me. I know. You don't need to explain yourself. You have until sunset. 
Where were you going? I was thinking, Mercia. It's dangerous. Yeah, and you get a lot more ale for your money. I'm joking. Why don't you tell the king who you really are? He'll grant you a pardon. You can stand Camelot. I could never serve under a man like Uther. Yet you have to offer. He stood up for me. I knew he would. That showed he's indeed a noble man. Then why don't you stay? Give me a knight. Like your father. You and Arthur, you fought well together. And maybe one day we will again. And uh, the actor's name who played Gwen, I've uh, put in there. I'm not sure how you pronounce that first name, anyone. E O I N. Eon, is it an Irish name? Mackin? Not too sure. Uh, I thought it was excellent in the part. And one of uh, Howard T's bearded uh, gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Tim, any comments on this one? Really got much to contribute on this one, Dave. It's not really stuck in my mind enough. Okay. Um, again, uh, I'm assuming that anybody else in the room that has it, we're, miss, we're missing Charlie P79. I think that's because he hasn't seen the series anyway, and we are missing some of our uh, normal members. Uh, we've got uh, Mike Randathor and Darth Skeptical, and uh, Mr. Benjamin has had to drop off and leave us, but we, we have had um, those people say before the recording that they probably wouldn't be able to contribute much to this particular topic. So what I'll do is I'll press ahead and we're going to episode uh, six, which is called The Crystal Cave. What is this place? This is where magic began. It is the Crystal Cave. Images, flashes. I've seen something like this before in the Crystal of Neotid. What you see here is exactly the same, for the Crystal of Neotid was hewn from this very cave. Look into the members. Really look. Much will be revealed. Take me out of here. How do I get back to Arthur? The future is hidden to all but a very few, Emrys. You are one such person. No! I've been through this before. Perhaps there is a reason you were brought here at this moment in time. What reason? Only the crystals can tell you. They contain futures that are not yet born. The secrets they reveal, Emrys, are unique to you. And you alone. Look into the memories. Really look. Use what you see for good. And I should make two comments there. Um, uh, it's Carl Johnson who plays that man that leads him to the Christmas cave called Talisan. Or Talisin, I think. And also the music. Um, greatly like the Dot Who and uh, Murray Gold, uh, the, the music plays a very important part, I think, in this episode, sometimes just tend to drown the dialogue out a little bit, but um, the main composer is Rob Lane, and Rowan Stevenson uh, is the other one, and I believe they do most of the incidental incidental music on the show itself. 
um, what happens is that um, the crystals that come from the cave uh, show visions to those that are skilled enough to see them. Um, unfortunately, this is a, almost a typical um, uh, time-traveling one in, in one sense because uh, Merlin sees visions of things that are about to forecome and the portent of that is, of course, leading to a plot. Of course, as anybody who watches science fiction and fantasy or reads fiction and science fiction, the things that Merlin does after seeing one vision actually makes another vision come through. Because, it, you know, uh, instead of somebody going somewhere where they're going to, he does something to stop them going. And therefore, the very event that he wants to not unfold does so because of his intervention. So um, it... Um, was quite a, a well-plotted episode, I thought. Can you comment on this one, Tim? No, certainly I'm going to I'm going to end up not commenting on a lot of them because I only see them the once, and so if if, if one's really stuck in my head, I'll have something to say. But otherwise, I'll I'll just pass you off with this quick fob of sorry about that. Right. Well, I only watched them once, although I, uh, I did watch flip through them briefly to 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 come across the little things. Let me just, uh, am I missing um, anything in the text chat? Uh, Mike, am I, have I missed anything that's while I've been doing this little bit? Not really, no. Okay. All right, so um, uh, let me, I, we'll, well, we'll move quickly on. Uh, so if there's people that can't comment, we'll move. The next one is um, episode seven, and that is The Changeling, I think, the full, I'm not too sure of the full title, but I'll play the clip and I will put that in text in a moment. Pixie dust. There's no mistaking it. Brunhilda is a pixie. It would explain a thing or two. Pixies have one weakness, which is for the more distinguished gentleman. What are you trying to say? Brunhilda has shown a certain interest toward me. She likes you? Oh, that is disgusting. Imagine it. Imagine if she kissed you. Oh, Merlin. Pixies are the servants of the she. To them, Elena could be very valuable. I think Elena may be a changeling. Changeling? Inhabited by a fairy at birth. It would explain the clumsiness. And Elena has no idea there's things inside. And when the time comes... It will possess her entirely. You think that time is now? She lived for more than a thousand years. The patient people. It may be that they have created this change, knowing that Lord Godwin and the House of Pendragon would one day seek unity through marriage. That would give the she something they want more than anything. She queen. Okay, and uh, this was another one with uh, quite heavy on uh, uh, CGI, and the 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 lady that takes a fancy to Gaius, uh, very well acted. Um, I'm just trying to find the lady's name. Uh, was it Pauline Collins, Dave? Oh, she's a, yeah, she's a she's a well-known comedian, isn't she? No, Miriam well, Gargoyles. A, oh, no. Mir Miriam Margolis, sorry, Mar yes. Margolis, that's it. Well, it's a later episode in which Pauline Collins shows up. That's so, right, yeah. They, they do repeat, there is one thing that 
if there is a, a, a little bit of a failing with uh, Merlin, and there are one or two, one or two, of course, is that they 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 have this problem of most of the things take place in either the castle or the woods around the castle. Secondly, from a t- production point of view, apparently they do all the interior scenes of the castle, you know, in like a, a six-week period. They go to France where the castle is, and they do all those shots. Well, that's, so that's all, a well, fundamental budgetary thing that is, isn't it? You yeah, get all your location is, stuff, particularly when you're going to have to shift your cast and crew to another country. That that's yeah. that, that's a given that that's how they'd have to do it. But it must be a bit difficult for the cast because within you know one episode, they their their portrayal of the the character might be weeks and months apart. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that can't be any get... worse than shooting a film because there's plenty of films where they shoot locations hundreds of miles apart, but they might need that location both at the beginning of the film and at the end of the film so it must be something you have to be taught when you're um, learning to act is to study the script well and put your your performance at, at the right level right well anyway the the young girl uh, Prince Elena I think is played by George King the, the quick synopsis uh, in um, lieu of people making contributions here, um, Arthur is pressurised into an arranged marriage with a visiting princess, Ilana, I think, as a fantasy drama continues. Yet Merlin has reservations when he discovers she may not be exactly what she claims to be. While trying to uncover her dark secret, Merlin learns that she is, her nanny is in fact a pixie. But who is she working for? And what do they have to gain from her marriage to Arthur, the heir to the throne of Camelot? Can Merlin get to the bottom of the mystery before Arthur take, makes the biggest mistake of his life? So um, that's the episode plot. Um, if nobody wants to come in, and again, I'm going to move briefly on. It might be one of our shortest episodes on record. And this episode is... Well, the, um, go on. The only, the only thing to say about the one we're talking about here is Miriam Margolis is just absolutely brilliant in it. Oh, good, good. Right, let me... Wow. Uh, I was just trying to get another tab open and blooming adverts on Wiki tried to play then. So I'll put the link into the next one. And that is, again, I will need some help pronouncing that. The Castle of Freyanen, I think. But let's play the clip. Sister. You are unharmed, I trust. Thanks to your men. Forgive me. But, uh, we must keep up appearances. What have you done with Arthur? You safely under lock and key. Why not just kill him now? How cold-hearted you've become. The prince still has his uses. He knows more about Camelot's defenses than anyone. Arthur will never tell you anything. Finred has his methods. I don't understand why I'm not dead already. Because Senred will want to torture me first, find out what I know. Aren't you afraid? No. Nothing the slightest. I don't understand. How, how can you not be afraid of pain? I am afraid of pain. This is not going to be any. Hmm. Right, so... Like you go into some sort of trance. Hmm. What are you talking about? There's not going to be any, because... 
we are going to escape from this filthy cell and rescue the others. You got a plan? Well, as such. Yeah, they, they actually go to this thing because um, Guinevere's brother is um, captured um, there and um, Arthur goes to help him escape. But of course, uh, every, she's captured. She's captured, sorry. Um, her brother's there. She's captured and Arthur goes uh, to try and free her. And that, of course, gives the uh, Morgana and the Morgoose Mo, Mo uh, a, a chance to capture them. Uh, again, uh, a fairly simple story this time, but very well acted. The um, the person playing Tom Centred uh, was Tom Ellis, and Amelia Fox, as always in this one, she has quite an important part uh, playing Morgoose, is ever watchable. Can you remember anything or comment on this one, Tim? Mm, no, I think my mind's a blank on this one, Dave. Okay. Uh, anybody else in the room want to make any comments about... Um, I mean, he, just in general terms, uh, Mike or Darth, hearing these clips, um, are they coming across to you as, ooh, that sounded good, I, I wish I'd have uh, caught that? Well, the Crystal Cave comes across to me as a blatant rip-off of Star Wars, which probably is a blatant rip-off of something else, but it definitely reminds me of the essential thrust of Splinter in the Mind's Eye, which is the first sort of um, tie-in novel that was ever written. It was written between um, Episode 4 and Episode 5's release, so a very long time ago. Um, and some of it actually got recycled into the um, the cave scene in Empire Strikes Back. Um, but more than that, the whole legend of where you get your crystal in order to make a lightsaber that's all in caves and so the magic of star wars comes in in essence from a cave just like the clip at least suggested that the magic of the merlin universe comes from a cave too so lord of the rings it, it they have they have a, they had a crystal on the end of their staffs too didn't they they're not in uh, saruman yeah, and yeah, that's very true. So, I mean, just from the... If that was... Was it the actual trailer? For that uh, no, episode? that was... That, that just I just played out. out. Uh, oh, okay. No. Because I was going to say, if that was the trailer, I, I, immediately, I thought as I was listening to it, wow, I really don't want to watch that. Right. It was about the first um, scenes, I think it was the, 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 the bit before the opening credits where... Um, Arthur's wounded and he, he gets brought by this chap and he shows him the, the, this cave that's supposedly myth where all magic stems from. Oh. Okay then, well we're going to um, episode uh, 8 um, which is the Eye of the Phoenix and here we go. Who is it that wishes to cross my bridge? Knight. On a quest to find the trident of the Fisher King. Then you must be Courage. No, I'm Prince Arthur of Camelot. I'm Grettir. <laughs> I have to say you're not as short as I thought you'd be. Before I let you pass, I'll give you a little advice. Courage, there are two more things you'll need to complete your quest. Strength and magic. I 
don't condone the use of magic. You'd be wise not to dismiss it so freely. The rules in the land that you're heading to are quite different to those in the world that you know. Thank you for your help. A very beautiful bracelet. It was a gift from someone very dear to me. She hoped it would bring me good fortune. Did she now? How very thoughtful of her. <laughs> is brilliant it does as I say occasionally drowned out some of the dialogue um that's basically the um the the troll under the bridge that uh, guards it uh, and the three that go across of course he, he represents courage um uh, uh merlin and Gwen are following on me i think it's Gwen, yeah are following on behind um the fisher king is played by uh, donald sumter who i believe has been in doctor who i'm trying to very quickly look he was in uh, Wheel of Space, Enrico Casali. I'm not too sure he wasn't in um, one of the Sarah Jane Adventures as well. He played Commander Ridgeway in the Sea Devils as well in Doctor Who. So an old actor that perhaps people here will be uh, familiar with. And of course, The Fisher King. Um, there was a film of that name. I don't know whether that's from the same reference or not. But... Um, well, I just check anything. Well, let me just uh, see if I can read anything. Um, uh, Arthur embarks on a solitary quest to retrieve the golden trident from the Fisher King and prove himself worthy of Camelot's throne. Uh, with the prince beyond the protection of the citadel, Morgana sees this as an opportunity to use her dark magic and gives him a precious bracelet containing a phoenix eye. She insists he wears it at all times for protection but it saps the, the life force out of him and he's left defenseless in the Fisher King's perilous rem, realms. Uh, with the help of an old ally, Gwen, Merlin reach him in time. Uh, and in actual fact, all the Fisher King wants is, is to die. He's, um, he's lived there uh, thousands of years, one seems, just sitting in a chair. And um, Merlin is allowed to take away the Golden Trident um, on as long as he ends the suffering of the Fisher King. So does that remind you a little bit more of this one, Tim? Well, it was uh, fundamentally the quest episode, wasn't it? And uh, uh, we heard Warwick Davis there, uh, the other main guest star. Well, I can't, can't remember a huge amount of details about it, but I remember it being one of the better ones. Yes, it was, it was rather well done. And then... It did did allow for some nice atmospheric scenes when he's in this because um, it's a sort of castle type location they go to, don't they, to find this like a ruin, isn't it? Yeah, some kind of ruin. It was very well again, shot. It was... There was some great CGI as well uh, that um, when they're trying to break in this castle, uh, this castle is defended by these sort of flying sort of dragons, but I'm not quite sure where they are dragons. And of course, as we Probably, if you remember from the previous series, um, uh, Merlin is actually a dragon. Is it a dragon slayer or a dragon talker? Um, a dragon. 
Lord Master. or Dragon Master or something Dragon on Master. those lines. So at the very last minute, as there these creatures are closing on them, he talks uh, in Dragon language to them, and they have to obey, and he tells them to leave. Um, so. Um, yeah, it's it's thinking... certainly one of the ongoing themes of this particular season is that uh, uh, the dragon is free now, but he's got this power over the dragon, but the dragon sort of begrudgingly obeys at times and sort of says, well, you've got this power over me, but I, you shouldn't be using it all the time. I'm sort of not your... Yeah. Not your lap... Not not quite your lap dog. Yeah. I mean, there's there's another CGI scene in one of them, I'm not sure which where they have these giant scorpions coming after Merlin. So the, the CGI effects are... I'm not sure... I don't know if it's done by the mill or what, but it's certainly a very, very high standard. Of course, the standard of CGI in in, in TV now, you know, with um, things like uh, Prime Evil and that, is, is moved up a notch from what it used to be only five or six years back. Well, I think it's 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 just steadily improved as the years gone by. I remember in early primeval, looking at the dinosaurs and saying, "Well, they're well built, but they're a bit fuzzy, and they were often the weak point of the episode at times." And uh, I've seen just the preview clips of this series of um, primeval that's coming relatively soon, and it does look very impressive. The sort of the co-production money uh, may well have raised their CGI game a bit. Right. Um, I'm not sure that I need to read anything more in it, but uh, I would say to those people that maybe abandoned the series early on, it, it, if, it, if, if it comes across, there are definitely a lot to recommend this series. I mean, it's been already, I think, um, earmarked for possibly two more series. And, uh, well, I won't just say yet, but um, when they were making this series, there was definitely no definite conviction that it would be taken up but we'll, we'll come to that at the end now as i say uh, and i was saying before we started the recording uh because i was using the bbc iplayer to capture little small audio segments and i was sort of two-thirds of the way through um because they time out seven days after the final episode has aired and that is eight days ago now um what i'm going to play next will actual fact be the last clip although it's not of course the last episode, and this is the episode um, The Queen of Hearts, and I think that was the one that Tim was mentioning about another actress, but I'll play the clip first. Money. I missed you. And I do. You're beauty. <laughs> some kind of creature in your room. That is the manticore. The ancients lived in fear of it, trembled at its very name. I love you, Alice. This is up to something, whatever it is, it isn't good. Now, who was that? Um, there was a comedy actress, I think you said, in that one, wasn't there? Paul, Pauline Collins. Oh, and further to what we were saying just now, Dave, I have just looked it up, and they do, uh, the the mill do do the effects on Merlin. Oh, thanks for that. Which would yeah. make sense, because I think there's some, the, the, it's a BBC Wales production, so that would all add up. And the, the, the actual CGI has been one reason quoted as why Merlin wasn't done in high definition. Now, I don't know whether any future series will be done in high I, definition. I think it's, 
fundamentally such a shame, though, because the the, the other show that's had this similar s- slot in previous years was Robin Hood, and they made much of the fact that they shot Robin Hood in high definition, and the the few little clips of it I've seen in high definition, the actual quality of the high definition was very good, but the production values didn't quite hold up to it because they'd use a set now and again rather than an actual castle like what they've done in Merlin, or and someone would be stood somewhere and your your eye would be drawn if you were looking at it a bit of it in HD to the background not looking realistic enough. So right. ho- hopefully they will get their act together and make it in HD because it so deserves it. Right. And Darth, do you want to read what you put you put uh, an ancillary to what Tim said about the effects? Uh, well, <laughs> I put that in the text because I wasn't quite sure about it because it's, it's kind of weird. It looks like um, that episodes one and two were done not only by the mill but also by another company called the Colin Gorey Effects Company. Um, after that, it looks like their involvement dropped away and it became the mill. But I'm, you know, we're basing this on IMDb and IMDb. You know, we're not that far away from the broadcast of this thing, so I'm not sure that they've got their act together. But it does look I'm, like I'm basing for, mine on the Wikipedia entry of the mill. Right. I mean, I'm uh, sure that we all I'm know sure Wikipedia is a bit variable on accuracy. Well, but I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's 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 fair for the mill to say that they did series three. That doesn't mean, you know, that nobody else was used on series three. That just means, yeah, we were there yeah. for series three. It, it um, may be but a it, case of an effects heavy episode and they needed to quite, bring in another company to share I mean, the it load. was, it was sort of a big spectacular. So, I mean, the, I'm, I'm sure that they probably did share it. I mean, Doctor Who does that on occasion. It's not like the mill has done every single bit of visual effect on Doctor Who, that that's not happened. The, for instance, in oh, Impossible Planet, the um, the effect of Scooty getting killed and floating out into space that wasn't done by the mill. Right. Well, there's there are some uh, CGI effects where the sort of masked armies where it's not so much the actual CGI of drawing it, it's the um, it's the computer intellectual thing to make them look as though they're all moving independently. You know, so you, you don't have them all moving in step, but it looks like individual soldiers and things. So I mean, it could have even been for the dragon itself, because uh, that predates, uh, I mean, the dragon effect was one of the first ones they probably worked on, which uh, may have been farmed out. Yeah, I mean, I think it's true of any kind of um, effects-heavy show or film, there and and you're up against a a tight budget of time that you do have to you know you've got one person one company that is overseeing most of it but you have one person within your production team who is in charge of you know making sure that the workflow works and in charge of making sure that you get the effect shot by a particular day and if that person determines that the visual effects coordinator determines that there's no way that your principal team can possibly do it, then they don't have much of an option but to say either we're not going to have that effect or if you really want that effect, we've got to get another company to do that one thing. And so they'll call in somebody else. And I think that's probably what's happened on at least episodes one and two here is you've got the mill and you've got this other company doing something. Right. Right. Uh, And one of the notable things about this particular episode is that – 
Merlin has to go into disguise and he disguises himself as an old man. Basically not as an old man, but how he would look as an old man. So you actually get to see the uh, the old Merlin who looks no, very they, much they, like... They conform to our iconic image of what we expect old Merlin. I thought it was a great performance from... Uh, I forget the, the young actor's name. It's Colin something. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, there, well, he, there was two he, things. Colin he, Morgan, he didn't... Yeah. He didn't at, at, at times, he didn't entirely dis, uh, disguise his voice, and then at other times, he re- he really did lay it on quite well. Yeah, the other thing they did is they didn't they didn't give him contact lenses, so although he looked old, his eyes were yeah. looking young. But of course, that was a plot point because it was so Gaius would recognise who he was, I think. Um, but it did sort of detract from the look of being an old man because he's had this sort of young, twinkly eyes there. Um, it was a nice, they, fun aspect of the plot, though. Yeah, but the thing is, uh, one or two of the things uh, in the series allude to the growing legend of, you know, Arthur and Camelot. Even though Arthur is not yet king, you know, these things are. I mean, like the the quest he did last time with the Fish King, because uh, that ends with the his father saying, you know, you've proved your right to become king uh, after me, sort of thing. So. Um, uh, I don't know whether they want to go, but there's quite a lot of humour in this uh, episode. Um, but um, just very quickly, as the episode begins, Gwen is crowned Queen of Camelot by Arthur, as Merlin and Gaius proudly watch on. However, we discover that these events are simply being dreamt up by Morgana, who awakens with a start. Sometimes later, she meets with Morgus, who warns that the dream is likely to be a prophecy. Morgus instructs Morgana to destroy Arthur and Gwen's relationship. Um, so that's how that comes in. But uh, also there comes uh, an old flame uh, played by um, this actress. Um, Pauline uh, Collins. Well done. Who is actually an old flame of um, Gaius. Uh, but of course she's using magic and is worried that she might be discovered. So uh, a bit too complicated to just read out the plot. The people who have seen it will know the plot. And uh, it probably will make no sense to those in the room if I just garble my way through it. Now, sadly, that's where my actual um, little list of clips to hang our um, episode on end. Um, let me just uh, say that we, um, after this, we've got, um, ooh, where's my page gone? There we are. Um that was the episode we've just been talking about was the Queen of Hearts. We've now got, in actual fact, three episodes, but just two stories. Uh, episode uh, 11 was The Sorcerer's Shadow, and I'll just read briefly what it says here. A new tournament descends on Camelot. Yes, that's the theme that keeps coming back. And a warrior known as Gilini uh, sets his sights on victory. He uses magic in the tournament to increase his chances of victory. And by doing so, he begins to realise the true nature of his powers. Merlin is torn between two options. Will he choose to help Galini or save Camelot? Now, is this one that is more in your memory? Uh, and Tim, of course, I'm talking to. Well, I'll mention briefly the, the previous one, because that... that, that struck a chord oh, okay. quite well because it covered it covered these themes of um class basically didn't it because when uh she tries to break up his relationship it wasn't because she was unsuitable in any other way than the fact that 
Oh, she's the woman who comes in and cleans my room. You can't be having... Or cleans uh, the, the king's daughter's room. You can't be having a relationship with her. And I thought... I thought... Yeah. So, so, some things never change. And... um. But at the the same time, they kind of uh, uh, did the sort of things you'd expect them to do of um, disappearing off into the woods and hiding and trying to continue the relationship. Well, she actually and, um, she actually leaves them under. She she says, "Why don't you take Arthur out on a picnic or something?" I I says to Arthur, she says to Arthur, "Why don't you you know have some time together?" And then uh, she says to the king, "Let's go riding. It's a long time since mm. we have time together, and make sure they get discovered." Yeah, and the the okay. um the, the the Pauline Collins one was always it's always welcome to get a a quality guest star, and it was another great um Richard Wilson episode because it gave him a another actor of similar stature to the play off. Right. Okay, then um uh, I did briefly just mention the, the Sorcerer's Shadow. Have you got anything to comment on that one about? The tournament one. Now this was the one where the Merlin meets a young boy of a similar age, wasn't it? Well, well, it doesn't well, look as though he got any chance of winning. But it, it was it was good to have someone for Merlin to meet that um, also practiced in magic, and I think that was the main thing that obviously came at it from a different moral standpoint and wasn't quite trying to hide it as much, but. Um, I don't know where where does that put us in 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 the thirteen, Dave. This is episode eleven. Uh, we better um, get on with it. Get better get on with the the, the next two. Well, 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 the, well, the next two is a, is a two parter in a sense. Um, so, well, it's not a two part in a sense. It is a two parter. Okay. Hmm. Well, this is. Let's move on to it then. The. Um, the last one is The Coming of Arthur, part one and two. And basically, before I read the little synopsis of it, um, there was obviously a vast amount of money spent on the CGI here because here again, we we don't have a um, a army of the dead this time, but we have an army. There's this uh, chalice called the, the Cup of Life. And uh, the, the, the fact is that um, that can save somebody's life, but in used in the wrong hands, what it can also do is that if a drop of a, a soldier's blood is put into the cup of life, then they can't be killed. They are, um, you know, uh, what's the word, indestructible. Um, they can't be beaten. So every time you, you cut them down, they just come back up. However, there is one solution to that, and that is the sword Excalibur. So um, Arthur and Merlin receive a magic artifact on a mission. That's not the sword, that's this cup of life. However, they are captured by a slave trader known as Jarl. Rescued by Gwen, the artifact falls into the hands of Morgus and Morgana. And they use that to bring up their, their armies, and they have something like 10,000 men. But each one puts a drop of blood into this chalice. And there's some great CGI effects as they show them marching from one kingdom towards uh, Camelot. Um, and I'll read what it says about part two. Um, Morgana has been... Oh, they, well, in actual fact, um, this army basically stormed Camelot and there's nothing to do. 
that they can do about it. Arthur and the the few uh, Arthur, Merlin, Gwen, uh, Gwen, and a couple of others managed to escape out of the dungeons uh, below the castle. Uh, and it ends up with um, Morgana uh, making the king uh, take him off the throne, and she is crowned queen. So in episode two, part two, Morgana has been crowned queen of Camelot and brings about its downfall. Arthur forms a resistance against the new monarchy. Merlin believes he'll struggle and goes to retrieve Excalibur. Can the new monarchy be stopped? Freya returns to give Merlin some important information. The Arthur's knights and a few common followers are helped take down Morgana and Morgoose. At the end, Morgana is seen to have disappeared with an apparently dead Morgoose. Um, but during the part where they're waiting to retake Camelot, they all sit down in this ruined castle around a round table. And Arthur, at that point, tells them this is the fabled table that um, was designed in such a way that no one person was any more important than anyone else. Uh, and the, fret, the band of soldiers that were with him, he actually knights. And I think it's Sir Lancelot, Sir Gwain, and... Um, the uh, Guinevere's brother, I think, and one other man that become the what will be the basis of the new Knights of the Round Table. And let me just unmute guest 14 as he joins. He or she joins us. You're most welcome. We're just talking about the final two-parter of that, and I haven't got a clip to play. Now, has any of that reminded you of the storyline, Tim? Well, yes, this, this was sort of the... Um the the punch the air episode i guess if you you're any kind of expert on the mythology or to be more precise if like me you only know the basics of the mythology because they put all those clear basic iconic images in it like uh the excalibur and uh, this the uh, fact that the episode concludes and spoiler moment here but it does end up getting stuck in a stone and uh the 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 whole round table it, it was it was almost a merlin drinking game you could take a drink every time some clear iconic moment showed up but um i think as a two parter it was definitely better than the season opener it, it did keep you you gripped there was there seemed to be a considerably amount more at stake than there was in the first one and there seemed to be also planting the seeds for the the next season to to have something to play off of. Well, the, uh, I, I might take issue with you on that one point because um, one other thing, of course, is that when when uh, Arthur gets Excalibur and it, it's it's brought out, what happens is that it, in an earlier story he's given this little bottle that's in a container uh, from this sea, this magic potion that he's told to use at, at Camelot's most desperate times. However, when they're hiding in this cave with, of course, this invincible army, um, you know, they're having to hide. Uh, uh, Merlin breaks it accidentally. The water pours into a little pool of rock and he has this uh, vision, this face of this, this sorceress that he wants help. I think in series two, or it might have been at the very beginning of series one, uh, three. And she tells him that he must go to the lake and she will hand the sword of Excalibur to him. And that has the ability to to vanquish these indestructible knights. Uh, so that's one thing. But at the end, he has to promise that the 
uh, Excalibur will be placed somewhere where it will be no one will be able to wield it. So the very final scene, in a way, of uh, this episode is Arthur going out into the woods uh, and he finds this great giant rock and with magic he thrusts the sword Excalibur into the rock. Obviously the eponymous sword in the stone. So um, they've got the round table in this. They've got uh, you know Arthur basically uh, being the defender of Camelot. We've got the new knights being knighted, and uh, we've got the sword and stone. I think this was written by the writers on the assumption that series three might, in actual fact, be the end. And if it was to be the end, it was you know um, a fully fledged series one, two, and three that told the story. Obviously, as, as Tim has just said, it's also a launching point for uh, another series, but it, 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 it tied in an awful lot of things. I guess it gave them either option. Yeah. Is the safest yeah. thing we can say. They tied up all the ends that have been brought in. A lot of the myth was established. Uh, of course, he's still not yet king, so um, basically be a snakes and ladders game if uh, in series four, where there'll be one or two knocks that... Uh, makes Uther think that he still has to be king a bit longer and Arthur's not quite ready. So no doubt he'll blot his copybook a couple of times in the next series. So uh, for those listening later and thinking, well, they've only heard a couple of people talking here, just let me tell you that we've got, uh, and we've had about a dozen people in the room with us today. Uh, one or two people uh, stayed for the news and then dropped off because they didn't have anything to contribute with um, about Merlin. We've got Darth Skeptical, we've got uh, Mike Randall Thor in the room with audio, who only saw some of the early ones, uh, and Darth commented on the first one. And we've got a number of people that have been in the actual room making comments or reading the text. But if you feel as though um, Tim and myself have only been able to give a limited review of the series, uh, that's what we depend on. We depend on people coming into the show and making their contributions. If you have just listened to this and um, uh, feel impelled to make some feedback of some outstanding episode or some outstanding uh, characterization or the music or whatever, please feel free to do so. Either by, if you're a Facebook user, and these days who isn't, uh, join our Cultum Collective fanbook page and you can put comments there. You can go to our Cultum Chronicles blog, which is at cultum.com, and leave a comment there. If you want to email me, it's cultum at tiskly.co.uk. But the easiest way is probably to do it on the uh, either the cultum.com site or the Facebook fan page. Uh, we also have a Twitter, and the Twitter is just cultum. So you can always uh, make a short thing there. I'll preferably think about sending in some audio feedback at that address. So um, let me ask Tim if he wants to make any general comment about how he felt as though the series was compared maybe with series one and two. And then I'll ask Darth and Mike if they just want to make any generalised comment uh, as we bring at least this part of the topic to a close. So how do you think it rated compared with series one and two, Tim? I can't really compare it to the other series, but um, it it is a show that is fundamentally moving on in a lot of ways, as I say, because they're they're having to build on their mythology, and 
it, it does still raise the questions of when are they going to do the thing that they may have to do eventually, and that's raise Arthur to being king. But um, anyway, I mean, as I say, it 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 it's consistently entertaining watch every week. But like Darth, I struggle to get past that two part at the beginning, and I was really glad when it was over that first two part, and everything else in the series was more entertaining than that. And I have to admit, I think it may have been a mistake on their part to even start the season with a two-parter, because if people watch episode one and it's not something they like, they can't fall back on, oh, it's something else next week, because it's a continuation of a story they've already decided they don't like. Right. Yes, and it it was somewhat grim. Uh, Not grim in meaning a grim story. I mean, grim in its sort of... Uh, outlook. Let me just say what the Wikipedia says about um, Series 4, and there's a little bit of confusion on it. Uh, it was revealed at the end of the coming part, Arthur Part 2, that Merlin will return. That, those were on screen words. But possibly, we're not sure whether that's going to be 2012 or not. It was revealed in Digital Spy that it will return, possibly in 2012, for 10 episodes because of the rescheduling of Doctor Who. Remember, Doctor Who has been broken up into two sort of mini-series uh, coming up. Um, Damien TV... From, from what I gather, Dave, the, the, the long and the short of it is this. Much as, we'd, much as you can look at 52 weeks and say, ah, oh, there's room to stick, and apparently it's a 10-episode series, the series yeah. four... Much as there's room to stick it in a gap between two halves of a series of Doctor Who, it comes down to when the BBC want to show it, and due to the costs of making it, I think they want to show it at a time that maximises it, and so if it is 2012, it may be early 2012, like sort of deep in the, the winter of January, where there will still be a strong audience due to the cold weather, so... I think think that may be the best we can hope for, which is a bit of a shame, really, because I was kind of hoping we could get this wonderful flow across the year of Doctor Who, Merlin in the middle, and Doctor Who, but it doesn't work like that, because much as they do schedule major dramas for the summer these days, clearly Merlin isn't one of them. Right, and also they've got to... They've got to. Sorry, to, I just asked, sorry. I was going to say they've got to get Sarah Jane Adventures in there and Sherlock as well. They might not want it to clash with those two either. Well, maybe, but they're both in different slots, so it's not really okay. a clash thing, is it? Okay, Darth. Sorry, I d- I don't see why it's so impossible that it wouldn't go in the sort of gap between series six and series seven and Doctor Who. I mean. It, I, I, for one, don't think that people have have been saying, oh, you know, this the series seven, the or this back half of series six, whatever we're going to call it, is definitely going to be in the fall. It's definitely in the autumn, and I don't think that that's true. I don't think we've actually had real confirmation of something as late as like October, November. I, I think that. It could well be. Beyond what Moffat actually said, which was between those two series, people's kids will have got fundamentally slightly older. Well, I mean, but still, 10 weeks is fundamentally older in the in, in eight-year-old's life. I mean, mm. I I think that you can... 
I think there's definitely room in the schedule for them to do, you know, something that starts in late February, early March for Doctor Who, and then it would end in, you know, April, May, something like that. And then you have the 10-week summer, sort of, of Merlin, and then Doctor Who comes right back after the end of Merlin, and they have a, an entire Saturday block for, uh, sorry, what would that be, 23 weeks. Right. Well, uh, perhaps what they mean by squeezing in is, the fact that they've gone for 10 rather than 13, it's not the fact they can't put it in, but they've, they've, they've reduced it down to 10 episodes, um, ra- you know, rather than the 13. In other words, 13 wouldn't fit, but 10 does. Well, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Mike, have you or, heard... Or maybe, maybe the BBC finally got wise to this show and said, you know what, a good three episodes every single year have been crap. So let's just... Say it's a ten episode series, and concentrate on making those episodes really good. Actually, give them a lot of money, or give them the same well, budget, or whatever. Or, I mean, they probably yeah. have reduced the budget slightly, but still, it might also reduce- go back to what we were talking about earlier with the amount of money the BBC has now, and so they've had to look at certain shows and say, right. well, as you, as you say, we can cut the yeah. wheat from the chaff with that and cut it down. Yep. We haven't got the budget to give it that that we gave it in the previous year. Yeah. But it might, you know, three down. I mean, I that's I can't do the math quickly in my head, but I know that that's more than sixteen percent, which is the number that I've heard batted around as being the effective reduction in budget across the board at the BBC. So right. it would seem that to me, and I don't know because I, don't, you know, who knows, but it would seem to me that yes, the budget might be reduced for these ten episodes. But the episode, I mean, the per episode budget might slightly go up. Maybe. Mm. I don't know. I don't know how they're going to work that out. And I'm I sure, so. uh, uh, and as I said, with, with, with the ending of Series 3, it may well be that, um, you know, they'd written it so it could come to a natural conclusion at the end of Series 3. So um, th- they, they may say that, well, we can come up with 10 more episodes because we got 10 we didn't do, if you know what I mean. Anyway, I don't know. Do we know Do we know when it got commissioned for Series 4? Was it only after it had started broadcast of Series 3? or was about it... Mid, it was about midway through, I think. Oh, oh, really? Okay, so they really through, didn't yeah, know. Yeah. Okay. Well, the I mean, general I don't know... pattern tends to be they see how these things are received after a few weeks. Yeah. I mean, they were still doing... Uh, the, some of the acting certainly the you know the, they were back in Wales doing this sort of uh, interior scenes as it were. Do, do we have any kind of sense of the the stats of this show? Because I mean, I, I would I mean based on series series one got like you know six seven it got relatively yeah. Doctor Who like episode uh, ratings slightly lower but not worryingly lower. They were still holding that night, um, and I think that they were still holding the night. Series two, so I mean, do, do we have any idea of hard numbers for this show this time around? I'm not sure, but I think it's also been quite a favourite on the uh, the iPlayer. It's one of those things right. that you know people might yeah. not schedule the day around it, yeah. but they will catch it. Um, I'm, I'm briefly looking now at um, I can't actually see any numbers here, um, not for series three anyway. Um, 
No, it's harder to any... find these things for any show other than Doctor Who. I mean, Doctor Who, it's really super easy to find the rate because everybody is so concerned about that, and there's a big community. There's not quite that same level of fan community for Merlin, although there is one, but it's not it's not obsessed in the same way that the Doctor Who fan community is. So I would say it's got, probably got four or five million. Um... Yeah, I mean, it's not. I don't. I would. I would hope that it didn't do demonstrably worse than. Yeah, four or five plus whatever you're getting off of iTunes later on. I mean, I whatever iPlayer later on, and whatever you're yeah. getting off of repeats within that same week, and you know, time shifting. It's still probably pretty good. I would have thought. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know anybody else has found anything. But anyway, the, the whole point of me bringing that up is they di- they really genuinely didn't know that they were coming back when they were writing these episodes. No, no. Yeah. Uh, uh, Certainly not. I think it was halfway through, yeah. Okay, uh, Mike, any comments from listening to our very brief synopsis? Um, Does it encourage you to actually give the show another go? Uh, I might give it a try if I can find time in my schedule, but uh, it it, it sounds, you know, somewhat interesting. Although the early part, just the overall arc that I heard was pretty much soap opera with magic. No, I wouldn't say it's soap opera. Uh, I wouldn't think so. I enjoyed this series, apart from the Goblin one, I enjoyed this series uh, better the, than the other two series. They do tend to um, revisit themes somewhat, like, um, you know, uh, the, the king has been bewitched more than once, Arthur's been bewitched more than once, if you know what I mean, over the whole three series. Um, but actually, um, I would say it was a certainly f- I, I far more enjoyed it than Robin Hood. I couldn't get my head around the Robin Hood one at all. But um, that might just be my preference. And if there's anybody who wants to, and just let me allow uh, guest fifteen who's come in, uh, was we're just closing up on the Merlin uh, thread now. But if anybody else has, uh, have I missed anything in text, Mike? Okay, well, um, with so few people in the room on mic that have seen it, I think um, I'll uh, I'll just give uh, guest fifteen a little uh, clip of the music because, uh, and then it'll give uh, myself and Tim any chance to give some last thoughts, and then we'll close down the topic. So this is just the intro and the music, just to give you a feel of it. In a land of myth and a time of magic, the destiny of a great kingdom rests on the shoulders of a young boy. His name, Merlin. play that clip we've got somebody from north central kentucky hello hi hello uh have you called with us before um a couple of times um i have a show and i just like to listen to other shows and your show has been on for quite some time so 
just kind of, kind of getting the format and listening to you all, what you do. Okay. Well, you've just come in at the tail end of the show. We've been talking about a British fantasy series called Merlin that has just aired here in the UK, uh, although people listening to the show are from other parts of the world, of course. Um, and we've just been doing our review of the 13-part series that's just ended. And as you join us, we're just about to wrap up. I'm just going to ask for some final thoughts. So uh, thank you for joining us. And um, if you want to catch more of the show, the show ID, as you will know now, is... Um, Torture ID 54821. It's the Colton Collective. We do about science fiction, fantasy, uh, and often relate to British science fiction like Doctor Who. And as I say, this week we've been doing about Merlin. So I'm Dave AC in the chair. Although it says Ian Dave at the top, Ian's the other co host who's not been able to make the today's show. That's Ian the Sixth Doctor. Uh, but I'm Dave AC, and um, you can see the regulars in the show. So, um, Tim, um, while I played that last bit of music, any more thoughts you've gathered together? Uh, can we draw a line under this and bring the show to a close? What time does your show start? Four, three? Uh, it starts at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 2 p.m.? Okay. Because we're on from 3 to 4, whatever time, I don't know. <laughs> In fact, we finished it like 12 minutes ago. Uh, oh, well, you're all right. This is a short one. Uh, we, we sometimes go to about 3 hours, 20 minutes. Oh, okay. Thankfully, not too often. Uh, uh, but that is usually because, of course, before we actually talk about the main topic, the main topic's only gone for about an hour and ten minutes. We we have uh, news about science fiction themes and uh, conventions, or uh, news about series that are airing in different countries, because we do have people that listen from Australia, New Zealand, Canada, uh, uh, the United States, the UK, Germany, and so on. So um, one of the guests that we have in the room who's had to leave earlier is called Benjamin Elliott, and uh, he's called This Week in Doctor Who Guy, and so he gives out quite a bit of information about when people in other countries can catch shows that originate uh, from maybe the UK. So um, we, we tend to have about a 30, 40-minute session at the beginning before we actually get to our main topic. Oh, okay. But, uh, That's great. Okay, well, um, I'll just, uh, if you excuse me now, I'll just address the people that have been in the room uh, as we close up the show. So, Tim, any anything to add as I uh, bring it to an end? No. Okay. No. Well, well, I take it, will you be, you'll be watching, I mean, we're not quite sure from that wiki page. It could possibly come out late 2011, but it appears more likely we'll have to wait now a whole year and a bit till 2012 for Series 4, well, and again, only 10 episodes. Well, all we can really hope for is some kind of announcement between now and the end of next year that, that will firm things up so we know when, when it will be on. Right, right. Okay, and um, I mean, I don't know whether it's the availability of some of the actors, whether, you know, Anthony Head playing uh, Uther Pendragon, maybe his time is limited. Um, I, I don't know. Okay, um... I'll just ask, um, thank everybody rather, should I say, for being in the room. We've had a large number of people that have been in uh, text chat. My alter ego, Dave AC2, Zimmypot69, Benjamin Elliott, uh, Logan, December, Slenderman, Guest1514, Ed Clan of Cholatan, Guest12 and 13, and North Central Kentucky. Uh, But on microphone, 
and I will say ask them to say their goodbyes. We have Mr. Darth Skeptical. Hello, you know, hi, Dave, and goodbye. But before I go, I, I do have one final thought that I'd like to sort yeah. of float in here. Um, Certainly. Uh, you know, I have found that the experience of this series, you know, it, it turned me off at the first episode, and I haven't watched it. But there is one thing I'm very, very grateful uh, about Merlin, um, and that is Merlin is very important to BBC Wales, um, and it's important to Doctor Who people too because what Merlin is effectively doing along with Sherlock is plugging the hole left by Torchwood not really being made in BBC in, in Wales anymore I mean sure some things are going to be made next year but for this year for 2009's production year and really 2010 too um, there's been a sudden absence of Torchwood so that's 13 episodes um a year that haven't been made by the, the people at Upper Boat. And what Merlin is doing is it's allowing people who worked on Doctor Who and who worked on Torchwood to still have a job and to still stay in Wales. So it's very good for the Welsh film economy and very good for this, this industry, really, that Russell T. Davies started and continued with and made made to grow so that now BBC Wales is a big thing. I mean, you got people like Gareth Williams who moved from, who was a like um, third assistant director, then a second assistant director regularly through the, the um, early part of the RTD era, and he moved on over to um, Merlin. And there are plenty of back, a lot of stunt performers that you will have seen early on in Doctor Who's history now working on Merlin. So while... I'm not that enamored by the show. I'm glad that it exists because it allows the um, the industry that has sprung up in Wales to remain intact, along with, um, you know, obviously Sherlock and and a few other shows that now are moving into Wales. So it's all for the good of Wales, and that's that's a good thing. Okay, and uh, while you were talking there, I just had to mute uh, North Central Centre. Okay, you might not be in the text. I was just getting some background from you, but I will just uh, unmute you in a moment when I've said, uh, given the other people to say chance to say goodbye. Um, I'm assuming, Tim, you're done now? Yeah. Okay, well, let's Mike. Mike has been uh, riding shotgun on the text chat, so uh, I don't know if there's anything you want to mention about the series, the, um, the things that Darth has just mentioned, or indeed anything I might have missed uh, in the last five minutes. The only thing I could really think of to mention is the fact that, you know, it's been run on sci-fi here in America, and uh, as far as I can remember, it was on their Friday night lineup, and it was what led into what I usually watched on Fridays, which was Eureka, so I usually caught, you know, you know the last bit of it, and that's pretty much where I what I saw the episodes, and it, you know, it seemed intriguing, I just never got around to watching the rest of the, the rest of the show, so it it's it's definitely a show I'll, I'll consider looking into, and uh, that's uh, the, uh, that for the for the topic and thank you for having me in the show and uh yeah see you next sunday on coltum that's right. re- that's an that's an interesting point that you just made there mike because it of course it's not just that it was on sci-fi but um not this particular series but earlier series of merlin were on nbc proper in the as that's a summer right. replacement yeah and it in, in that sense it is the most successful show coming from Britain 
to ever be put on. I mean, well, certainly in the last decade, it's the most successful British show in terms of its ability to just move to America. It's got the highest profile of anything, way bigger than Doctor Who, way bigger. I mean, even though it's just a summer replacement show, that's it's still on one of the big three, and then it's on one of the big three's major sister networks. Right. And so you think it, it, it might it, be a slow burn, that sort of thing? Well, I mean, I, I don't, who know, I don't think I'm not entirely sure that it's coming back to NBC for Series Three in the summer. It might, right. but I mean, it, it's still the only show they've really done that with. The only British show that a major network has just taken and put onto um, its lineup this decade. Now it's happened before. I mean, you know, the the old Roger Moore. Um, oh, what the hell is that series? Roger Moore and, uh, uh, and Tony Persuaders. The, Persuaders, yeah, and and the Avengers. You know, were both shows that worked on both sides of the Atlantic, but they weren't, of course, BBC shows. They were ITV or ATV even. Um, yeah. uh, but um, this, is, I'm pretty sure, this is the first BBC show in a long since like. Oh, the oh, what is it? The Adventures of Lancelot, the first thing that the BBC ever did in color back in '55. I think it is, I think I'm right in saying this is the first thing that the BBC have ever gotten directly onto one of the big three. Ever, I, I could be wrong, but certainly, the certainly prisoner? in the last thirty years. The prisoner is prisoner BBC. Did not make it. Oh no, it's not. Well, no, from the UK. Yeah, that was yeah. Uh, that was ATV as well. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, of course, it's easier to take an ITV or an ATV program and just slap it onto <clears throat> American networks because you've already got commercial breaks. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, really brave, I thought, of NBC to do that. And I wish that they would do that more because we're, we're slowly getting used to the idea in America on, on the major networks that you can have a 13-episode run. Um, and, it, you know, that might lead to something better, but... It, it's fine to think of a series as being, you know, 13 episodes long on a major network. And certainly to, I think we could bring over a lot more shows and put them in the, the summer break. And I wish we would. Well, it's strange because I mean, like with Stargate universe, don't they show something like nine episodes and then have a mid season break anyway? Well, I mean, I, I can't vouch at all for the programming of sci-fi because sci-fi is just a really weird cable network that doesn't respond to the normal trend. I don't know what they do. It's it's a trick that they learned, I think, by accident with Valsar Galactica. Valsar Galactica wasn't always like that. The first, well, of course, the first series is only 13 episodes, isn't it? But the second series, I know they didn't do this, you know, 2-1, 2 uh, 2.1, 2.2 thing. I don't think it was just series two, and it was run in a relatively normal way. Uh, but I think once you get around to three, and certainly by four, you're talking about having a major break, just like Doctor Who now is going to do. But even, I think, slightly worse than... Well, we don't know what how long Series 7 is going to be after Series 6, so who knows. But still, um, sci-fi is very odd in its programming, and it, it's exceptional to see something like that kind of break on regular cable. Not so right. exceptional on pay cable, but regular cable, that's weird. 
And certainly, network, I don't know. They, they don't do that, unless there's a writer's strike. I mean, you get, you know, a month off for Christmas or something like that, maybe maybe six weeks. But essentially, you do, you know, 13 and 13 or 12 and 12, and there's not that much of a break between the two. Okay, right. Well, let, let's leave yep. it at that. Um, yep. Uh, but uh, I think very valid and useful information. That we'll, we'll call it that. I've not forgotten North Central Kentucky. They've dropped off. Uh, I had to mute them because there was some background noise coming. Hope they'll come again and join us for a full show, although possibly difficult if their show runs semi-concurrently with ours. All I've left to do is to thank everybody for coming on. Um, and uh, to mention that next Sunday, Sunday the 19th of December, the episode 77 will be Doctor Who, yes, I know it's the Doctor, but Doctor Who, this is your life. Looking at the different Doctors, uh, the same Doctor, but the different incarnations that we've seen on television, and what we can glean from each one of them, uh, you know, genuine, real facts about the Doctor. And I'll give you one to start with from the first Doctor, we learn he's a grandfather. So, uh, from very basic things like that, from more obscure things, that we've got people like Mount Randathor, of very good obscure facts, uh, to, uh, that sadly might not make it for much of that one, Dave, because it's my birthday and I'll have friends around. Okay, well, if you want to send in a little bit of an audio feedback, you know my email address. Uh, I'll mm. certainly play it if I get it in time. Okay. But if you, if you don't feel, you know, happy birthday for then anyway, you will mm. uh, obviously enjoy it and hopefully you will listen back to it later if you don't make the show. Yeah. Okay. Uh, also to remind people that if you're listening to this, if you get us from the uh, iTunes and you download it, look uh, for extra episodes in the midweek feeds because we've now put up three of our Christmas specials that myself, there you see that is, Ian Six Doctor and Mike Randall Thor have put some Christmas treats up there. We've done three uh, now. We've done uh, the Christmas Invasion commentary. We did the commentary on The Runaway Bride and the commentary for the little episode Time Crash. Look out for another one coming out uh, midweek sometime soon. And um, we're not quite sure about scheduling the episodes over the Christmas, Boxing Day and New Year. Uh, so if you check our site at Torchu, Torchu ID 54821 and find out our followers on the fan page are indeed at cultdom.com and we'll make sure you're aware of what's happening and uh, with that, I'm going to thank everybody in the room. And as we come up to two hours and ten minutes, I'm going to play the outro. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.